Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Warning, warning, warning. Trigger alert. She about to say some real shit. Hey, everybody. Summer's coming to an end. Back to school. Back to work. Back to reality. That's what September is all about. Welcome to our first episode of Gold Mines with Claudia Gold. Who is Claudia Gold, you ask? Well, you may know me as Claw Money, graffiti artist, clothing designer, girl about town. I'm going a new direction, and I want to explore some things that I'm very passionate about, like subcultures and how they become macro culture, how different subcultures intersect. People also know me for my feminist point of view, and when I started talking to all my friends that I was about to start a podcast, all of them but one said, oh, is it about feminism? While... My life is about feminism. This podcast is sort of not. This podcast is about community and how community creates culture and how we can use this culture to create good in the world. I am an artist, a clothing designer. I'm a mother. I'm a friend. I'm a wife. I'm a sister. And I'm bringing all of that to this podcast Since it's our first podcast, I figured I'd bring out a banger, somebody who has nurtured and fawned and worked to create what we now call hip-hop culture. This man is DJ Clark Kent. We talked about his origins, being a child DJ about his love of sneakers and how that sort of snowballed into a second sort of career. We talked about some of the seminal moments in hip-hop history and propagating it into mass culture. He is truly an innovative, interesting an important person in New York City and the world beyond. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. We are here with the legendary, the God, the man himself, known on every continent, DJ Clark Kent. Brooklyn Finance! Yes, yes, I like that. I'm taking her with me on tour. I know, <laughs> I could be a great, I could be a great hype man, right? 100%. 100%. What, what, I like the new fat man scoop? No, 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 no. No shirts off. And, no. Did I ever tell you that um, I saw fat man scoop when I was driving with my husband and he was just walking around Harlem mm-hmm. and uh, we were driving and I was like, fat man scoop out the window and he would gave me the dirtiest look. I was like, okay, you know I'm sorry. Because he didn't know who you was. He was, he was he like, know. oh, Claudia Gold, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> he just didn't know. He didn't know the legend. He was annoyed. It's annoying. It's annoying sometimes. No, no. Walking he, around. I, I, I get that. Right? Yeah. When you uh, put yourself in that position to be, I guess, famous or, or lauded in a certain way, everyone who sees you expects you to be on. And well, they also, they think they know you from yeah. from your you know, and, I, and, I, and way worse now with social media. They're, correct. They're sure they know you. Right. See, that's the other big difference. But they expect you to be on. So because they're basically the reason why you're famous, it's like you owe them. Right. So it's, it's a weird, you know, but it 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 is and could be very annoying to have to bear that response. What if he's having a bad day? Right. He got like right. terrible news. Some chick is screaming fat man scoop out of her car. Mm-hmm. Why does, uh, yeah, oh, hey, what's up? Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. uh, no, man, it, I just, my library books are late or oh, whatever. Oh, whatever. <laughs> it, it It's really crazy. And I didn't really realize it, like, on my end until social media, really. Because me being uh, DJ Clark Kent, that's one thing. God's favorite on, DJ. That's an actual the lo- fact. The Lord, the Lord. Yes. But (laughs) being that guy before social media was fine because I really didn't let my face get on flyers that much. And well, but you are very like uh, a very strong presence. And if anybody saw you, that it's a memorable, you know, your your stature. That that part's cool. But but think about I didn't let my name get on my face get on flyers a lot. Name, yes, you heard of him, but you didn't necessarily know what he looked like. And then when I started putting my face on flyers, it became a okay. There, you might get recognized, and I'm like, okay, I'm still cool with that. But then when social media happened, and then your face had to be attached to the social media, and that thing that was easy to navigate became very, very different because everywhere you go, it's somebody's going, "Yo, clock." And I'm like, I've never, ever seen you before. And this is real scary. It is. It's very scary. And I, different than you, Mm -hmm. where I was really in the shadows Mm -hmm. for so long. Yeah, which is bogged out. Right. And then people are like, are you Claw? And I just think like I look like some 
you know, Westchester mom or something. And I'm like, uh, yeah, it's it's strange. It, it is. The other part is the sneaker thing happened. Yes. And the sneaker thing happened for me during the social media thing. So now you got a, a 10-year-old kid from Long Island who's never, I couldn't ever imagine why I would know this guy going, hey, DJ. And they don't know what that DJ actually means. I'm a disc jockey. They right. think that's my first name. Ah. You know what I'm saying? So it's even weirder. So not just the guy who loves music and hip-hop going, yo, Clark. It's become, hey, DJ. So do you find... I have two lives. That, But do you find social media to be a job within itself? Do you, Or no. do you feel like, oh, I'm just, I just want to, you know, contact my people and yeah. like... For me, I, uh, I don't look at it like a job. I... I I look at it like I just I post what I want to post, so I don't think I'm being strategic or trying to be strategic. And the and the thing is because I'm just old, and I don't look at it like the same way everybody else does. Like I could never ever do what DJ Khaled does, and the reason why is because I need to put down the phone. Something do. I don't understand is going like this. I I don't understand pointing a phone in my own face and putting on the camera and looking at myself. I don't, like, I will never Facebook any, I mean, FaceTime anybody. The only person who can get me to pick up a FaceTime call is my wife. Like, anytime somebody tries to FaceTime me, I hit end. Like, I'm not answering. And then I call them regular. I'll tell you, though, FaceTime is great when you have young kids and you travel. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. That's that's the only time I use it. My kids are grown, so they won't get FaceTime either. N-O, don't call daddy. It's busy. No selfies. No selfie zone. It's weird, though. There is lots of information about you out there on the on the Internet, but (laughs) nothing that I didn't kind of know, though it it gets really deep. But Mm -hmm. like on on a superficial level. Right. I want to know about what it was like to be a young DJ in Brooklyn. 70s or 80s. When did you start? Started in the 70s. Started in the 70s. What was that like DJing in clubs mm-hmm. as a young teenager in Brooklyn mm-hmm. in the 70s, early 80s yeah. when the culture was just coming of age? When I was nine, I, I decided or I learned how to DJ and decided, oh, I want to do this for the rest of my life. Because of who? Um, my uncle, really, without him being a DJ. He just had a DJ set. So I just wanted to know how to play it. And he couldn't teach me because he wasn't a DJ. But, like, if you listened to, like, Frankie Crocker on the radio, he was mixing records ever so often. And I was like, well, how the hell does that happen? Right. So my uncle would say, well, he uses two turntables. Well, he has two turntables. I want to know. Okay. So I had to learn how myself. And was your uncle very supportive of you, like, like messing around with his stuff? And he like, let me use his stuff. That- and I think the only reason why he let me use it is because he didn't realize what was going to happen. Right. He just thought I was going to try to figure out how to be mixing. And he had, like, amazing equipment. But it was audiophile equipment, so I really should have never touched it. Wow. But he was okay. You know what I mean? And he let me. So because of that, and I learned, and I figured out how to mix, and I started to understand it. And then um, I just I just wanted to do it forever. So and- you wanted to go to— to a party, take these records, mix them, blend them together, and have people be like, Absolutely. what was that? Right. And and the, the thing is, is that from 9 to 11, it was just me trying to make sure that I knew how. 
By the time I was 10, I knew how. By the time I was 11, I was like, I really wish I could do this. And then one day, I got to DJ at a a, a park jam with, right. with Grandmaster Flowers. Wow. I mean, he's like Jesus in Brooklyn back then. Sure. He was like, aren't you the young boy that DJs live up the block? And I was like, yeah, I do. He was like, you want to get on? And You were a I, child prodigy. The thing is, I think he expected me to say no. Ah. And I was like, yes. And <laughs> I think what even made it even a little crazier for him is I knew the records. So he was going, how does he know the records? And I knew the records because my uncle, who had this set, he loved music. I just loved music. Right. So I looked at all the records and I played all the records. And I wasn't the guy who was playing the record that you heard on the radio. Right. I was playing the whole album because right. I wanted to know every song. So I was playing records since I was five and just listening to records. And because that's what we did. Yeah. You go into, right. you, you your play parents wanted right. to get away from you right. and you, you just like exactly. put you into the, you know. So when I was picking records out to play, he was like, how does he know the records? So, so you had a vast knowledge. Yeah, I knew the from, records. Right. Because my, my, my uncle used to be one who was always in a club. My uncle and my aunt went to clubs like every weekend. Right. So the records they had were the real records. So when I was picking the records, he was like, how does he know? But... When he let me play, he was like, how does he know how to do that? How does he know how to mix the records the way I mix the records? So did he take you under his nah, wing? Or he, he just, just was like, he was he like, was get, like, get yeah. out of here, Shorty. No, no, no. <laughs> he, he wasn't like that either. He, he Think about it. He, his his instance was he's going to let me play one or two records, and the crowd would have bugged out. But he let me play for an hour wow. because he realized He wanted to watch you, right? But he was he like, nah, he could play, so right. let him play. And, you know, at a park jam, if, if you somebody else can play, you let him on. If, or you're going to play six whole hours. And he was just like, yeah, let him play. And he let me play. And I went home and told my grandmother, I said, I'm going to be a DJ for the rest of my life. Wow. And after that, it was, uh, I was doing all the family's house parties. And then I would do somebody's 16-year-old party, but I'm younger than everybody there. But <laughs> I just I just had to play all the time. And what was your DJ name back then? Uh, Clark Kent. Oh, you were always Clark Kent. Yeah, but then there was a space in time when I, I chose another name, and it was terrible. Really? What was it? <laughs> <laughs> There's only one person in, like, all of hip-hop who knows who the does? answer. Really? And it's, it bugged me out because I was, one day he's interviewing me, and he goes, yo, so tell me about— And I was like, oh! <gasps> It, it was a Grandmaster Blaster. Oh, that's cute. That's cute, no, it was though. That, it was well, terrible. when you were like 11. It was terrible. No, it wasn't. Like I, was, I was older than 11. That's what made it even more terrible. <laughs> it, was, it was just terrible. But I was called Clark Kent because I wore glasses. Ah. I mean, I'm wearing contacts now, but if you go back in the early days of me starting to be famous, I always had some kind of glasses on. Very cute. That's very cute. I like that. They were that making look. fun of me. They were like, oh, you look glasses. Clock in. You look like clock in. And I, I accepted it. And I always told people, I'm gonna, you're going to feel stupid about that. And everybody who made fun of me feel, felt stupid later on. Um, you four-eyed haters. Look at him now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So in the, in the very beginning, right, it was park jams, house parties. Mm-hmm. When did DJing and sort of hip-hop move into nightlife? There, it, It's funny because uh, hip-hop is a culture. Rap music is the music that lives within the culture. Right. So we had our own parties in nightlife. Right. Now, 
downtown scene, that happened late 80s, early 90s. So it was Danceteria, don't you think? Yeah, that's when we infiltrated downtown was Danceteria, Roxy, uh, Funhouse. Those clubs like that are the birth of of hip hop almost going mainstream or going cool to someone else than the kids who were actually doing it. Because if you think about it, when we got when we arrived at um, Danceteria, it was a whole bunch of different punk, punk diff- rockers, punk rockers, punk <laughs> new, rockers. It was like but, punk rock on the top, yeah. new wave, and but then hip hop was in the basement. People going, why are they here? You know what I mean? Ah. And 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 the thing is, we had to convince them that this music was actually a real deal. Interesting. Okay, because I wasn't really going out until like the late '80s, mm-hmm. and it had already come downtown. Yeah. And I was going to Area and MK. Area and MK. Yeah. But that was like later. That That's was like, area, uh, like 91, 90? Right. Area, MK, the building, right. powerhouse, all of that stuff is after. The building. Danceteria. <laughs> right. yeah. That's after Danceteria right. and Roxy, after Roxy, after Funhouse. Palladium is st- even still after that because oh, they, really? didn't, they didn't really let hip hop infiltrate the Palladium except for the room upstairs. You know what I'm saying? Then Jessica Rosenblum happened, and then the Palladium became a full-out hip-hop club whenever she was in there. That's right. Yeah. Jessica Rosenblum. Uh, look, Jessica Rosenblum. I mean, no, yes, Jessica, if, let's if, get props to yeah, Jessica yeah. Rosenblum. If, if a book gets written about hip-hop and there isn't like a, 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 a true section dedicated to her and the things that she did to the hip-hop community with her, her lack of fear. You know what I'm saying? Because remember Jessica, Amanda Shear too. Yeah, Amanda Shear's another yeah. one, right? Yeah, I mean, but Amanda Shear wasn't doing the same thing. She was doing dope parties, but she was more gearing it towards hey, everybody come. Right. Jessica Rosenblum was like, "Who loves hip hop? Oh, the hood loves hip hop. Come on to the party." Uh huh. And then everybody was like, "Oh no, well that's the real deal happening right there." So then everybody came, but she was like, "Well." My first party, I'm going to go directly to where hip-hop is supposed to be. Who am I going to get? I'm going to get Clark Kent. She gets Clark Kent for her first party. Like, that's nuts. What was the the name of that party? I'm not even sure. It might have been the building. Wow. But 29th Street, shout out to 29th Street. Yeah, yeah, please. (laughs) I used to DJ at Nell's when she worked at the door and didn't even know her. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it was a small world. Yeah, yeah, but like I was DJing there, Like, but I wasn't playing hip-hop the way that Imagine, we're playing there. She's at the door. She gets fed up. She wants to do a party. They're not letting her do a hip-hop party. She goes out, does her own hip-hop party, and it becomes the building. That's insane. Yeah, it's wild. Me and Jessica Rosenblum went to Paris to do a party for the grand, for the, for the, for the, the premiere of New Jack City. Like, how did we get to Paris? Isn't that crazy? That's that nuts. This, that the, you know, yeah. this culture has taken you all over the world yeah. from like the inception yeah. to, to, to right. now. I remember meeting you mm-hmm. back in the day. I don't remember what club it was. Stretch, who was my right-hand man at the time. That's I was my ace. Yeah. I was always rolling that's with— That's our right-hand man. That's our <laughs> right-hand man. Took me—I think he was like closing for you or opening for you or something. Mars? It might have been Mars. Mm-hmm. And— you had been playing this Teddy Riley stuff. I'll never forget this because I've thought about it for years and years and years. 
you were like, this is the next shit. Hip hop is done. This new Jack Swing stuff. This is this is the next wave. And it was for a good long time. <laughs> do you think that what the kids do now or, you know, the kids, Drake, whatever, he's 30, right? Um, do you think that's sort of like the modern New Jack Swing? The way sort of like R&B and hip hop have sort of merged, like singing over beats? No, I just think he's a, a, a really good singer who raps really, really well. But but or uh, not even him particularly, but the mm-hmm. whole sort of style of like singing over hip hop beats is sort of derivative of kind of that, right? Like the the whole... The New Jack Swing. But I remember thing. you were like, this is it. Th-, and I was right there with you because that stuff was awesome. No, I was yeah. listening to it recently. Here, here, the, the thing that I, that I thought about New Jack Swing is that when I, when I first heard it, I thought this is really polished hip hop or really polished rap with a singer. Or this is really polished singer singing to a beat that is a rap beat. So I thought if we can infiltrate R&B with this kind of beat, this music's going to be crazy. And it was crazy. It was crazy. So to, if I look now, I guess trap would be okay. a, a, the same kind of idea. It's just that they're not necessarily singing. On more beat, right, more of these rappers right now are using melody in the way that they say their raps. So it kind of comes off kind of sing-songy, which... In essence, is kind of smart because if you think about the way that you learn your alphabet, you didn't learn it by the letters. You learned it by the way the letters were said. So it's learned in a song. So if you give somebody a song and it's melodic, they're going to get the words quicker than if they have to remember your raps. That's right. That's true. So it's kind of easy. It's kind of um, quick to remember. And that means it's going to turn into sales. <laughs> but I thought... And I'm wondering if you thought, I thought rap was going to be a trend. No. In music. I did. I thought it was going to be the way, same way like punk rock you was, it was a trend. Go away? And then it was new wave. And then it was going to be hip hop. And then there's heavy metal. Then there's grunge. And then there's things that are, I, I thought that rap was going to sort of turn into something else. No. And not sort of become the global, uh. you know, the most popular music worldwide that people listen to. Why? Because I thought that there was this sort of like five year of popularity and 12 year of like sort of die out. The way it was coming up as a kid, it was sort of, it was punk rock, then it was new wave, then it was hip hop. And then I was like ready to go like, what's next? Well, Do you know what I mean? Or that was my transition sort of. The difference is punk rock and new wave, they might've had like two extra moving parts to it. Hip-hop is not the music. Hip-hop is an actual culture. So within that, it has a bunch of moving parts. So because it's an actual culture, it can't go away. Hmm. So rap is the music that lives in it. So what you would be saying is the music had to go away. The music can't go away if it lives within an actual culture. Right. So there was no way it was going anywhere. You had its own dance. You had its own art. It had its own way of dress. It had its own language. There's, It's impossible to like do away with a culture unless you kill it. And right. you would have to kill the people. Right. So it can't go away. I didn't think it was going anywhere. Huh. I thought that it, it was a, a musical trend that was going to flip into something else so, and turn into like the next 
wave of like what the kids were into nah, or something, nah, you know? And the, and the reason why is because you didn't look at it for what it was. You looked at it thinking that hip hop is the music. It's not. Right. It's the culture. Right. So the music would have to be what you were thinking was going to go away, but then it would have been something else. It would have been some other kind of music because every culture, every real culture has a, a set of things that live within it. You know what I'm saying? And, and music is something that lives within every culture. Even the, the cultures that don't like music, music lives in it so that they can know what they're not supposed to like. <laughs> it makes what, sense. What culture doesn't like music? I, like Amish? Trust me, there's, do Amish there's people prob- like probably they are, might not, but then they right. still have something that they use. Like they still sing hymns. Right, they go to I'm church, sure, so yeah. it's music. They just don't like all kinds of music. Right. So there's music that can't live there. In rap, we built our music off of every kind of music. So any kind of music can live in hip hop. Correct. But the base, our base of music is rap. So it can't go anywhere. It's part of our it's part of the reason why kids talk a certain way. It's kind of it's part of the reason why kids walk a certain way. It's it's part of the reason why white folks listen so they can learn mm-hmm. about what's happening with black folks. Sure. They learn through rap, just like we listen to Eminem and learn the way white kids think. Don't listen to Eminem for white kids. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you understand what I'm saying, I though, absolutely right? do. When do you think that hip-hop went from being a subculture into becoming popular culture? And, like, what do you think sort of was, like, the defining moment, sort hip-hop, of? Hip-hop became it's it, a real, real, real thing when money was made off of the music. So the thing is, like, rap is what meant mainstream, not hip-hop. See, I'm using it the wrong way. To me, that Run DMC Aerosmith was when it sort of like— No, nah, that, 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 that took it somewhere else. But you but had it, to but get— But it, was, it sort of get, exposed it to yeah, like— Yeah, but you had to get there right. to get to that. You know what I'm saying? Because the thing with Aerosmith was not a stretch. Right. And the reason why is because we used Walk This Way— in the park. Of course you did, because it's a break beat. And, and, right, right. It was a break to us. Of course. It, it, they, it wasn't even called Walk This Way. It was called Toys in the Attic because the cover of the album is right. Toys in the Attic. It, we didn't even know it was Aerosmith. We knew it was Toys in the Attic. In to- on Toys in the Attic is this record with this break. What's the name of the break? No one knows. We just played the record that's on Toys in the Attic. But don't so, you think that record sort of brought, what, brought what it, it mainstream what, because what of MTV? What that record did was what the clubs were already doing, like us being in Danceteria. Right. So we were already infusing. We used to cut up Tom Sawyer for kids to rap to. And then a, a kid in the suburbs would go, well, that's Tom Sawyer. You know what I'm saying? But the kid who's rapping to it doesn't know what it is. We right. were already infusing our our music and our, our love of the music within itself anyway. So when money happened is when everything else started to happen. Like, so if, if you got a Curtis Blow who's making the first gold record ever, mm-hmm. I mean in rap, and you got Rapper's Delight, Rapper's Delight is off of good times. It's off of a disco Absolutely. record. We're already infl- infiltrating. Now, but the record is so big, now they're like, well, what's going to be next? The next big record is Curtis Blow. Uh-huh. So Curtis Blow has a big record. You got to keep fu- me. it's very different for me because I grew up in New York. Mm-hmm. It was all about Sugar Hill Gang, and then it wasn't anything until Run DMC. Nah, that's not true. There was Curtis Blow. I I missed that because that's, I that's was Curtis Blow. Right, like Curtis Blow. There's there's so much. 
You know, yeah, what I'm I saying? mean, I know Curtis Blow now, but I, right. but as a as a twelve year old kid, Curtis Blow's the first gold record. Yeah, that's the first big. gold record. Like he's, it, he, we're like, oh shit, you can make money. Like you can make money. Right. He had a a deal with a major record company. Like, what the fuck is that? So after Curtis Blow, Run DMC. It's Run DMC. So but, he but, he sort of, but he but he hit the he broke the ceiling. Right. MTV put Run DMC with Aerosmith and packaged this yeah, culture but, but no to vi- white people. But no no MTV if you don't have Video Music Box. That's true. That's right. That's, that's, that's crazy. Right. That's crazy. Uncle Ralph McDaniels. But yes, by all means. But but <laughs> Ralph McDaniels doesn't get his place in history properly. He should. Of like, course he does. There's no MTV raps if there's no video music box. Why they do MTV raps? Why? Because some black dude is on a public access channel and he's killing shit with rap videos that they didn't even know existed. Right. Do you remember you used to only be on like yeah. early Saturday morning, waking up early yeah. to watch your own yeah. TV raps? Yeah. Because you know why? Because they were scared. Like, they wait were a minute, scared. They what's really going to happen? Right. Here? And like, this is very niche. I mean, think like, about let's it. Say. You got, they got somebody who was super official to do your MTV rap. Fat Five Freddy? Yeah. He's real deal. Yeah. So they 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 thought about it properly. Jonathan Demi. Jonathan Demi. You know what I'm saying? Yes. They thought about it properly, but. They were scared to death. What happens if they get Ralph McDaniels and the Vig Kid? You get it the way that the real kids in the street got it. Right. And then it probably doesn't go away. Interesting. They just had that that uh, park jam for, right. for video music. But right. But that shouldn't have been bigger. It Right. Of course it should have been bigger. Right. But he's not getting his— Remember his, Rap City? Absolutely. <laughs> but he's not getting his proper place in history. He's not. Rap City exists because of MTV Raps, but MTV Rap is because of Video Music Box. Interesting. I didn't I didn't They're first. I guess they're you're the right. First I didn't, ones I didn't think about music. I didn't think about it like that, but you're they're the first ones playing rap music. You're right. Right. They Shucks, you watched MTV so you could see if they if Michael Jackson made another video. You didn't care about anything else on there when you're a kid from the ghetto. You're like, wait. Michael Jackson got another video? Right. You're not even beginning to imagine that there's going to be rap music. It's not even a thought because we got video music box that we're going to watch and we're going to see rap. And then out of nowhere, MTV raps and now, wait, you guys are copycats. So you still watch video music box because they're going to play the real rap. Right. And they didn't edit out all the logos. and not at all. You saw the raw video. Yeah, you did. And no, no bleeps. No. So you think the the moment Curtis Blow made that record, it turned hip-hop into a global culture? It turned rap music into a global music. Okay. And it carried hip-hop with it. When do you think that, that you know, being from New York mm-hmm. and sort of the, the subculture that was here— in the all the outer boroughs, then coming downtown and sort of infiltrating mm-hmm. the rest of the world, right? Because Manhattan yeah, that's puts what its shine on it. Right, yeah. of course. What was that seminal moment that you think that it ch- it changed from being a geographic subculture into a culture? For me, mm-hmm. because I would be there and seeing it and all of that, I think the Roxy was tremendous. Because it just wasn't like a club where you went and heard hip hop. It was a club where the superstars of tomorrow were performing. 
You know what I mean? You saw Africa Bambada every week. Right. You saw Soul Sonic Force. You saw the Jazzy Five. You saw the superstars of and you of saw right. You week. saw Rocksteady Crew, right? right? And it was saw, just sort of. But, but you saw Madonna hanging, no record deal. She was just hanging. She right. was just there. You saw Debbie Harry just there. You saw uh, Henry Chalfant just there. You saw all of these people just there. It's not like we didn't even look at them like they were superstars. Well, or they, they were going to be good. Right? You know what I'm saying? They were just regular. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I bug out when I when I hear how much Basquiat sells paintings for, and I'm like, dog, we pass beers to each other. I mean, come on. Like you're like, can I get a Keith, tag Keith on a napkin? Herring. <laughs> Keith Haring. <laughs> Keith Haring designed a logo for my DJ contest. Like, who can say that? You know what I mean? Is like, this so, the new music seminar yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. The the battles. That Shout I out to off. Tom Silverman. Tom Silverman, man, man. No. But I mean, and these were just dudes that was just around. But now, I'm like, wait a minute. He's he sells a painting for what? Did he what? That is special stuff. Future. Future. I know. You crazy? I know. Come on, like well, he, I know. You the homie? I know. I've known you since I was like 15. He's still that guy, though. Yeah, still he's still. that, like, he's still, unassuming, right. chill dude. And he, and, he, and he had a rap record. Yeah, Which he is did. bananas. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What did you think of that, um, speaking of sort of, like, crossover, like, that Ram LZ record? Which one? The first one. Uh, that was a very early, very sort of important. It, it was, it was. It was perfect for what was going to happen in Paris and what was going to happen in London. He had a record that worked everywhere else, but not necessarily here. So right. it was like it it just jumped across the world by accident. So you're DJing at clubs. Mm-hmm. You are watching rap music sort of infiltrate mass culture. Mm-hmm. You're DJing for Dana Dane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, Delancey Street, that's my jam. Wow, really? That is my, that's my crazy. store's on Delancey Street. That's I'm true, uh, I'm true, all, true. My grandmother was born a block from where my store is. Wow. I'm a Del- Delancey Street. I, I get that. I'm not even mad at that. Don't you think Dana Dane sort of gave Slick Rick his flow? Nah, they were in the same crew. They were in the same crew. You don't think that sort nah, of it was nah, it preceded nah. it? No, because I, I, I'm wrong. I he, can't be wrong. I he, have. Here's the reason why I would okay. say no. I would say no because Dana Dane rhymed with an English accent. Yes. Slick Rick is English. Ah. So when he rhymed, he just sounded like that. And then the thing is, they were in a crew called the Kango Crew, and everybody in the crew rhymed the same way. But uh-huh. this guy really talked like that. So they kind of got it from Rick. Ah. But they were like friends, friend, friends. And then you had uh, Gucci Mane right. who rhymed like Dana Dane. Right. Gucci Mane rhymed like Dana Dane who rhymed like. And they all went to the same school, that type of thing. You know oh, what I, mean? I didn't realize that. But he wasn't in the crew. Well, yeah. He was Gucci Man. His name was Sam Jacobs Jr. His father is the one who produced Dana Dane's first record. Wow. Yeah. Who, who produced Nightmares is Nightmares. Gucci Man's father. Wow. That so it's is... almost like his father was going, okay, we're going to lose Dana Dane. I need you to rap like him. You know what I'm saying? That could have been the, the story. It could have been the conversation. Wow. So from Dana Dane, then mm-hmm. did you go on a European tour? 
No, we went on tours for for years, for three years. One and hour. so, how were, what percentage were you sort of like working on that compared to working on like working clubs? in nightlife and clubs? Oh, um, I DJ six nights a week, and when we started doing shows. I DJed every time I wasn't working. So even if like, we were on a show in North Carolina, I figured out how to be the guy who played the after party. I figured out how to be the guy who's going to play a club the next day because we're not going anywhere. We're not going to travel, so I'm going to play a club, and then we're going to travel the next day. I was about my business. Yes, you were. Yeah, very much so. So when I came to New York, if we didn't have shows, I played five, six dates, dates out of the week because— I, I, you just you had that hunger, right? Yeah, you loved the, the thing music. Is, I like, loved the music so much that I wanted to play all the time, right. and I was I was really really good. I wasn't. I'm not. I'm not like your average DJ. I mean, no duh. I mean, but there's a bunch of guys out right now who aren't that good, who are super famous. It's because there's ways to be famous and ways to get rich DJing now that you don't actually have to have good technical skills or you don't actually have to know music or you don't actually have to play it well. You can press buttons and shout. You know what I mean? There's there's a bunch of DJs who are doing well and no shot to them, but I didn't want to be them. I want to be the guy who can actually play. You want to have the skills, Yeah, right. put me on a set. I'm going to show you what it's like. Right. And so do you think hip-hop sort of birthed this DJ culture, the EDM DJ culture? No, house music did that. And how... Ha- and and what do you think about sort of like live producing compared to someone who is just like a real purist DJ? Like I think DJing has opened the door for so many other kinds of performance. Okay. So you can get a guy who's going to go on stage and, and play a drum machine for an hour. And that doesn't even make sense. 20 years ago. But it makes sense now because you can make it work because of technology. You can make, a DJ can stand up there with a machine with a bunch of pads and he'll be playing every new song that's out and you're like, there's no turntables, there's no CDJs, like how's he doing that? Technology has changed so much that it's given birth to plenty of of ways for guys to call themselves DJs with quotations around Absolutely, that. I agree so, with that. But then you got a guy who's an EDM DJ, who might have been a DJ, hardcore, makes a record, finds success with that record, makes 20, 30, 40 records. Now when he goes to perform, he never plays anybody else's songs except his own. His own. You'll hear mixes. His hands will be in the air. He won't touch turntables. And he'll have 60,000 kids going crazy. But that's because he's become... A performer. Right. He is, right. It's so performative and right. interactive with right. his. There's, it's there's a different, a different thing. Abs- so like absolutely. EDM has given a total different platform to make money or to perform. But the one thing I can say about a number of these EDM DJs is that they can actually play. It's just that they don't. Because they're, <laughs> you know, they have to dance. Now they're performing. Because <laughs> now they're performing. That's right. You know what I mean? And I play EDM. Okay. But I play it. Right. I don't let it play and throw my hands in the air. Okay. You know what I mean? So I think you, you there's there's room for you to do everything. I just think that so many of them abandon it that it, it's kind of rough. And then it gives a false sense of you're a DJ to some kid who's looking at it going, oh, 
I want to do what this guy's doing. And then when they get to that point, they realize, oh, shit, I really can't do what that guy's doing because that guy didn't let you know you got to know how to play. You, you, you got to know how to play. I can stand here with a, my hands in the air. That's because I programmed my whole mix. But if you don't know how to mix in the first place, you're not going to do what I'm doing over here. So that kid doesn't get a real education of what DJing is like. So do you think because of this preloaded mixes, do you think that DJ art is flourishing or is is it waning now? Like a, like the a, business of DJing is flourishing. The, the actual technical ability is, is, is taking an L because technology is 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 basically taking over all of the actual craft, a lot of the craft. I'm not saying for everyone, but I'm saying for enough because pressing a button does not a DJ make. Right. I remember with the chalk marks, right. lining stuff up and yeah, listening can... in one thing and then just waiting. And... Right. Now machines, th- these machines and these programs can actually mix for you. So... Where, it finds where, the beat. It can yeah, actually it, match the beat, it right? It sinks the beats for you and all of that stuff. And Because I could never do that. I would try and try. I just could never get – I, the thing I is, have DJed many uh, – select, selector. <laughs> selector. <laughs> and I take the crossfader and I'm like, what? Like next <laughs> – Yeah, I get it. <laughs> but I can read the crowd and I can wave my hands in there, but I can't DJ. Well, that's because you know what pure DJing is like. Yes. And then there's a bunch of people who don't, so they call themselves DJ, and they get a hard drive full of music, of somebody's music, and they just play, throw songs on and talk over them. I got that new song. New song is on. You're thrown off. You can't, you're not dancing. That's why. How many clubs you go to where people aren't dancing? They're standing around. They might throw their hands in the air when a new song comes on, but they're not dancing because there's no flow. Right. You, you have to be able to read the crowd. You got it. No, it's not even about reading the crowd. It's about flow. Because if you don't have flow, they can't dance. Right, right. Because you're going to throw them off every time you throw a record on. You don't have flow. You don't have no rhythm. There's nothing happening right. that makes them go, I'm dancing. Right. That that backbeat. Yeah, where... That, that where the music never stops sort feeling right. and bu- building and grow, getting to the next point. You're, you're, you're not mixing the songs you're throwing them you're smashing them up against each other so when did you stop djing as your and then sort of get into the record business i, I never stopped djing you never stopped djing you no. never you never had to sort of like stop like, no, and refocus here, like no, here, oh, i need you to focus on these artists no the, the clark funny, luckily all right <laughs> luckily and i'm gonna say it like that the hiring was because of what I was doing DJ-wise. They were like, you're a good DJ. You're a great DJ. <laughs> you're picking good records. You're you're teaching us about new artists. You should make records. Or you should be in the A&R business. So, cool. How can you stop me from doing what I do that got you to pay attention to me to bring me inside? They're like, no, keep being who you are because who you are is the reason why we want you. Cool. I don't have to stop DJing. That's great. And it it made for my career to keep flourishing. So if I got booked in London while I had a job, all I had to do was say, hey, I got to go to London. In essence, they're thinking he might go to London and find a new artist in London. Go. And propagate the culture. Right. Figure it out. Let's tell come back and tell me what's happening. Come back and tell us how our records work. So basically, I was a... I, I, 
I could have been a crash test dummy for a record company, but I'm not a crash test dummy because I'm actually a really good DJ. So they were almost like in support of be a bigger DJ. You know what I'm saying? Like I was on the radio when they came and got me. The guy who came and got me was on the radio too. The other guy who came and got me after that was on the radio too. You know what I'm saying? So they were just like, yo, this is what we're doing over here. And you should come over here and do this. And I did. And they didn't stop DJing. So there's no way they were going to make me stop DJing. Like, that's the thing. Like, if somebody would say, yo, you got to stop DJing, there's no way I would have been in the music business. No way. I No way. No. That's your passion. And, you you know, your stick-to-itiveness has brought us, you know, here. Right. You're also, besides being a great DJ and such a force in hip-hop and rap music, (laughs) you're also very famous for your position in sneaker culture. Yeah. (laughs) This this podcast talks about how subcultures build communities and sort of how subcultures can overlap. Well, this sub this this podcast is going to be Oh, that's right. Right? Cuz this is the first. This let's is the see first. where let's see where we take it. That's that's true. This could this could change on a dime. Yes. It's going to be totally about sandals. Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but okay, I was going to save this question for later, but is sneaker culture part of hip hop? First of all, I I don't call it sneaker culture. Well, what do you call it? I just I'm I You like you I like just, sneakers. I like sneakers more enthusiastically than the average person. Okay. I am a, a sneaker junkie. A sneaker but, head. No. But I'm what would you say sneaker junkie? And here's here's the thing. Like when there became this thing called a sneaker culture, I was already Duh. 25 years deep You're in like, being a sneaker entire, junkie. My entire like so, room is full right, of sneakers. So I'm boxes. looking at this thing going, y'all call that a culture? Because you like a it. lot, a lot of sneakers. Like, how, how do you measure that up against hip hop? You don't. You you, you you can't. It's about consumerism and brand right. worship. That's, it's not. That's it's what not, it's about. It's not about. It's not a culture. Right. Not to me. And but I to guess, some people, no, it's, it's a, a like a passionate. Yeah, that's cool. I'm passionate culture. about sneakers too. It's not a culture. God it's, bless. <laughs> To Wear me. your damn sneakers. <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm saying? So, but my my thing is, at nine, my the same uncle who let me use his DJ set gave me a pair of pro kits. And when I hit the block with the pro kits, all of the 16, 17 year old guys were like, oh shit, he has the same sneakers we had. That feeling was everything. I was like, what? The old guys who are like our superheroes, because none of us got dads. Right. They think my sneakers are shit. Oh. Every week I'm going to buy a new pair of sneakers so I can make them say the sneakers are the shit. Because they definitely didn't believe I was going to be this DJ. Oh, you don't think I'm going to be a DJ? You still going to think my sneakers are the shit. And I went about it and I did it. So when I became somewhat popular and I was making money and and all of that stuff, like I was 75% records and 25% sneakers. I spent money on sneakers that was senseless. But it was because I wanted to be fresh. I looked at the older guys and was like, damn, how'd they get that girl? Sneakers are brand new. I looked at the guys who were going to clubs going, damn, I, sneakers are new. I I equated everything fly to sneakers. So well, I was like. I mean, it was, it was a 
a real cherry on your on top right. of your outfit. So I wasn't off in my thinking. It's just that I was too young to be wanting to think like that, and I didn't care. I just I just wanted it. We didn't have it in my neighborhood, but we had these two men on the block that would give the young kids jobs every weekend to do like move those newspapers from over there to over here. You move the newspapers to give you ten dollars. Take fifty cent. Go to um, Glenwood Flea Market. Buy a pair of Pro Kids for nine dollars. You got another fifty cent to get home. If you don't get home, you shit out of luck. You had to walk. <laughs> you had to walk miles. That's to right. Get home. Not in new sneakers right. though. But first of all, getting from Glenwood Flea Market to the bus station, I mean to the bus stop, was uh-huh. like walking the gauntlet because you thought you were going to get robbed every week. So. We would go down there when the, the store was going to open, when the flea market was going to open. So at 9 o'clock, we'd be there. So we'd work for these men at 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 eight at 7 in the morning, leave our houses around 8 to get there for 9, wait, buy the sneakers, and be out in five minutes before any of the thieves and the hoodlums would come and be they ready sleep to late. They, they're the late sleepers. Yeah, yeah, let them. But, <laughs> but the thing is, every weekend, I bought a pair of Proquettes, like for years. So... When people came to my house, they were like, do you really have like 50, 60 pair of sneakers? Yes. Yes. And my sneakers are always clean. The thing about me is I want my sneakers to look brand new every day. Okay. So that's the addiction. It's not to have everything. I don't have everything. I have what I want. But I also work really hard to be able to afford my addiction. Sure. (laughs) Do you you find, though— that your addiction is waning? No. Na- no, no, not at all. No, it still represents no, the same thing yeah, to you? I, I get up every day and I look. For, I put on a brand new pair of sneakers. Blessings, I, blessings. I, right, right. Cleanest feet in the streets, but, Clark Kent. <laughs> <laughs> but it's because I just want to be fresh. And it, it, it's not this, yeah, I want to have more sneakers than you. Like these kids are going no, through No, you right just, now. you ha- you want to present yourself in a certain way. Right. And it meant something to me, and it still does, and it's not the same. So this thing they call a culture, I'm looking at them like, what are you talking about? Do you like to be fresh or not? You know what I'm saying? That's the way I look at it, and it, the thing is, for them, it's not that. It's, oh, I, I, got, I got a pair of the off-white such and such. It's about being able to have access or feel it's that you— It's a status you, right, for them. It's a status. It's not a status for me. It's fresh feet. Right. That's it, and I believe— Fresh sneakers are the beginning of every good outfit. So if your sneakers aren't fresh, best believe you look toe up. Agreed. To me. Agree. You know what I'm saying? So for me, it's that. It's I, I don't believe it's a culture. I just believe there are some people who are more enthusiastic about sneakers than others. Because I don't know anyone who doesn't have a pair of sneakers. So does that mean they're all in the sneaker culture? No, you just like sneakers. Well, I like to say, talk about inclusivity in sneaker culture and sometimes I've been known to give a talk or two (laughs) and I always say that all you need to have is a pair of sneakers to be in sneaker culture there's a borderless entry just grab a pair of kicks and come on down like it's but it is about capitalism consumerism brand worship status right and it's a silly pastime for people that take it or look at it as culture. Okay. And and with that, it proves it's not a culture. Not so, a culture. You heard so, it here So it's first. like I don't even have to, like, argue with anybody. As soon as the things that they start speaking about, it proves it's not a culture. You're proving it. No, you're not right. Not you per se, but, like, anybody who talks about it like that, I'm just like, 
All the things that you're going to say are going to walk back to you proving it's not a culture. So why are you so mad when I say it's not? Oh, because why? Because they put a name on it. They put a name on everything that makes money and call it a culture. Tell us about your sneaker expo. Oh, um, <laughs> for, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's a culture, right? That's an experience. It's you're an experience. DJing. I'm not going to say it's a culture. Oh, no. I, I, no. But an, it is. It's but it's experience. like the culture of Clark Kent. Kind of like the world, it's the of world Clark, of Clark. Right? Yes. Okay. It's it's part of the Experience world. Experience. I am um, some some of it. What happened with me is I I would I went to a couple, and I recognized that it seemed a little unsafe for young kids. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So like every time you saw a young kid, their mother had to be there, or their father had to be there, or big brother who really was like, why the fuck are we here? Had to be there. You know what I mean? So. I started to just ask around, where you from? Ah, oh, Long Island. Where you from? Ah, oh, Central Island. Where you from? Ah, oh, Farmingdale. Ah, oh, where you from? Long Island. Where you from? And I'm getting, like, half of y'all are from Long Island. That means you're getting on Long Island Railroad or you're begging your mother and father to drive you here. Like, so what I'm going to do, I'm just going to do a sneaker show in Long Island. They loved that. They loved it. And my thing was, I didn't, I didn't really care about what was happening. You know what? Blessings, blessings. I just want to say that. <laughs> I just was like, give them their own so that, they don't have to come to the city. The people from the city not necessarily going to come there. I went and got good vendors, the same vendors that are in all of the other sneaker shows. Right. They're going to come. They're going to vend. And they're going to realize that the spending dollars in Long Island are much longer than the spending dollars in New York. So That's why they call it Long Island. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the guys who were vendors were always happy to come because they were, they were selling sneakers to kids who parents didn't want to bring them to the city. So... They were, I mean, you don't understand there were 10-year-old kids walking around with $10,000 in cash to buy sneakers at my events. Are there, are there 10 year olds I'm going there, back into the life of crime. You, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Be like, who is that shady mom outside of Clark's event? Ah, nice. <laughs> with a stack of sneakers for sale. <laughs> but yes, so I just wanted to, to give them something, and I... I and then are you also trying to, like, let them know your philosophy that yeah, sneakers sure. are yeah. a fun— Yeah, for sure. —a, a fun pastime, yeah, sure. but not a culture? Well, the thing is, they're going to take what they feel like taking from, from, from where I'm coming from. I think what happened more with these kids is I had a TV show on Complex, and we talked about sneakers in a real way. So— they don't really care that I don't think of it as a culture. They care that I actually know a lot about shoes. Right. And they care that in their closet they own two or three shoes that I, I worked on. So I'm the real deal to them because not only do I have a bunch of shoes, I've actually made shoes. You're a sneaker designer. I'm not going to say that. I'm a, I'm a guy who, who reappropriates other people's sneaker designs. <laughs> I mean— Fair enough. It's, you know, when it comes to sneaker designer, sneaker collabing, yeah. you're basically I've done, picking I've done out, right, you're collabs, picking out yeah. uh, fabric and right. colorways. Right. It's not, I've, you're not designing no, the no. Uh, propulsion have, of the. Trust me, I have the, so much respect for designers that I would never say I'm a designer. Okay, so what? when was your first sneaker collab? First official sneaker collab was 19, I mean, I mean 2000, 2008 it dropped, but I did it in 2007, dropped in 2008. I, I just had a 10th anniversary for it. And can you find them? Are they available? No, no, they're No, they, you have to they're search, right? Yeah, and they'll be They'll, they'll pop be up here and there. Yeah, but right, they'll right. be upcharged for sure. Yeah. As, they're all 
Do you have boxes saved? No, I only have one pair each, and I can't wear them because I only have one pair each. Right, and so you got you got to keep them for the I gotta archive. I got to keep an archive of everything that I've done. But they're they were pretty nice. It was a three shoe pack: an Air Max one, an Air Force one, and an Air Trainer one. And it was called one one two. One one two is the first three numbers of every Brooklyn zip code. Uh huh. So it was called one one two pack, and they were really really nice. So let's go. Let's go back to Brooklyn and to your youth, mm-hmm. because in in the early days of rap music, mm-hmm. there was the Bronx, mm-hmm. there was Queens, mm-hmm. there wasn't much. Well, I, was I probably I I'm gonna say this and sound like an idiot because you're gonna be like, there was this one and that one and this yeah, one and that one. Yeah, there was a lot. Jimmy Spicer's. Jimmy Spicer. Right. Jimmy Spicer. Super. Yeah. It super rhymes. And Flowers wasn't DJ right. Flowers. He was Grandmaster Flowers. And in Brooklyn, we had a club called the Zoo that everybody came to perform at. But it didn't have sort of like the, it didn't have the Bronx lore, right? The right the Bronx thing, and then the, then Queens stepped up with like Marley no, Hall no, no, and no, the, no, like that whole no. beef, that notorious beef. Yeah, but that that's that's still so much later than than everything. Like Jimmy Spicer's before that beef. You know right. what I'm saying? Super Rhymes is before that. You know what I'm saying? Right. Super Rhymes is one of the first rap records made. He's from Brooklyn. Right. Kamasa DC is is before it is right around the same time as all of that. Like if you went to a club, like back then it was the building. Uh-huh. No, no, it wasn't the building. It was Union Square. You went to Union Square, seventy percent of the club was from Brooklyn. Even though South Bronx was dropping, you went to the club, seventy percent of the club was from Brooklyn. You went to Latin Quarters, seventy percent of the club you was from Brooklyn. You remember Kwanda? Of course. Of course. I love that club. Fifty percent Brooklyn. But the the biggest and best clubs were populated by Brooklyn. Like, yeah, I could I'm, see that. I could see that. But when when would you say that like Brooklyn globally sort of cemented themselves in hip hop as a force? That was sort of you know it Big was Daddy kind of Kane. the world's best. It's one of the best. I mean, in sure. my opinion, he's my he's my all time favorite. Let's 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 do so. Uh, we got Big Daddy Kane, right? You got. Hey, you know, it's funny. I like associate him with the Juice Crew, and I think he's like Queens. But right, you're right; it's Brooklyn. He's from Brooklyn, and then you, you let's 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 just say you got Jay Z, right? Of, well, yes, best ever, and you got the notorious B.I.G., the best rapper ever, right? And you got Nas, who was born in Brooklyn, even though he represents Queens, he's from Brooklyn. You got Kid Capri, who was born in Brooklyn. But he's he represents the Bronx, right? And you got well. That's the thing, really. When you're from New York, it's so as much as you rep your borough, you're also you, repping you have, the whole city. You're born you know? from somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. Brooklyn, but I was Brooklyn, what I was what I was Brooklyn, le- Brooklyn, 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 Brooklyn. Here he goes. Brooklyn, Brooklyn's finest. But I believe that you are part of the seminal moment of when Brooklyn really stepped up. Yes, Big Daddy Kane. Mm-hmm. Yes. Jimmy Spicer, mm-hmm. you bringing your artist Jay Z, yeah, you know, unearthing him, mm-hmm. packaging him, mm-hmm. <laughs> working, <laughs> work right. Tell me about like what that was like and sort of putting Brooklyn on the map, not the first time, but no. in a in a major way. It must have been like a huge source of pride for you. I think it was. I, I want to say. Like, you have to understand, we really already had Kane right before Jay was Biggie. Mm-hmm. But I knew what was going to happen. And so I was looking at things that were happening while we were trying to put it together. How many labels said no? How many? My own boss told me no. Then I went and got another job and my new boss told me no. And I just kept thinking, 
dang, y'all are all really going to feel really stupid about this. And then it happens. And then everybody starts to feel stupid. And I'm going, like, why'd you hire me? Why'd you, why'd you hire me to work for you if you're not going to? Right. Like, like why you am asked I me here? to do right. this. You know what I'm saying? I'm doing this and you're not seeing it. Like, I tried to sign Nas before Nas met Search. I was like, you got to, we got to sign this guy. And I got asked, where's his demo? And I was like, well, he doesn't have a demo. They were like, yeah, we're not going to sign him without a demo. I'm like, what? He just took life away from everybody on Live at the Barbecue. You got to sign this guy. Right. And they, so and I, I started to really question, like, you know, well, why you got me here? Do you think that some of these sort of like rules are like part of the reason of the downfall of like the the record business, the sort of the the old antiquated like show and prove mm. you must do this like this, follow yeah. the book. Yeah, uh, because now the kids just take it into their own hands. And yeah, do for their sure. Own thing. And um, you know, digital has really changed the way that kids will think and should think. You you can own more if you don't do a record deal. You can force the label to do what you want if you don't have a record deal. You can you can change and fix and and redo the way you you historically are a superstar. I mean, look at Chance the Rapper who never sold a record, but <laughs> makes more money on tour. I mean, he's he so <laughs> famous, but I don't know any of his songs. You, I mean, but but I'm like again, I'm very sort of out of the okay, mix. Okay, but think about that. You, he's super famous. You don't know any of his songs. Nothing. Like, that shit couldn't happen before. It couldn't happen. Like, that. Could, people couldn't have a fan base without a record deal. It just couldn't happen before. Right. You know what I mean? You do, How are you going to get your fan base if nobody's out there that's bigger than the masses making sure everybody knows that you're this new artist? How do you think that the radio record companies not following that old path— how do you think that has affected new artists and sort of coming into the into the mainstream if they're not getting any like radio play? I think because of the internet, because of streaming, because of so many different venues to put your music out or or just like places just to let it get heard because of that and because somebody was like, Yeah, you, you can get paid for that. They don't give a fuck about a record deal. Well, they don't need it anymore. Right. So it changed everything. And now they're actually getting, like, really paid. Yeah, they're getting really paid. And now record companies end up having to spend more now than they would have if they would have got control of it in the first place. They should have never let iTunes happen. Right. As soon well, as it was, like, but it wasn't it sort of really Napster first. You, you, I remember, Napster, I would like Napster, to take four Napster, hours to download a Napster song. Napster was, you know, <laughs> Napster was, you know, like we're gonna let your music go for free, but it wasn't the way for you to have a record out. No, but iTunes kind of gave you a way to put a record out without a record label. I see. You know what I mean? You can call yourself a record label, go to iTunes, and say, "Put my record out." Give them what they're going to get from it, and you have a record out. What? Ima- imagine if if you're you're a millionaire, right? Okay. Just imagine, and you got this artist who no one's ever heard before, and you just go hey, go to I- iTunes and put a record out, right? And you put a record out, and the shit is terrible. But you're a multimillionaire, and you buy a million copies. You know what happens? Every record company sees that this guy sold a million records. So then what happens? They go chase the guy that put the record out. Now this guy has a deal. With a record that did nothing. 
this is going to be the launch of my rap career. I see it now. I just need to find me a millionaire to buy a million but, copies. But of think it. about <laughs> think about that. That's what record companies became. They became research companies. So they just look. Oh, well, who's doing what? Well, who's do- oh, look at the spike on this record. Who are your favorite artists that are sort of new jacks, new uh, jack swingers? I like. Uh, I love Travis Scott. I'm okay. a big fan of Migos. Okay. I like Drake. I really do. He's I, a pop star, though. Don't you think more than a, a rapper? I love Drake. Don't get me wrong. He's a star. He is. He's a star. I'm not even gonna say he's a pop star. I'm gonna say he's a star. Okay. The only reason why people call him or call it a pop star is because of Michael Jackson. Indeed. There's, there's no such thing as pop music until Michael Jackson. That's they got true. these little black boys. They don't know what to call him. He's R&B, but the 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 rock charts are liking him too. So what do you do? Can't call it black music anymore. It's popular call music. It popular music. Right. If there's no Michael Jackson, there's no Drake being a pop star. Indeed. So he's just a star. Uh, I don't I don't He's know, a star. Yeah, he's a star. He's a he's a he's a star. You know why? Because he's an incredibly good record maker. He's not the best MC. He's not the best singer. But when it comes to making a great song, that dude is fucking amazing. He knows how to do it and he's talking to he us ladies. To and he is talking to us ladies. We have been waiting. But repeatedly. Yes. Like not once or twice. He's like he does it. Like over and over and over and over and over again, like that's a that's a star. That is a star. He has staying he's power. Yeah, he's prolific with songs. So, I mean, him. I like Kendrick. I love J Cole. Okay. If these guys are or what you would call New Jacks, like those are the, mm-hmm. those are guys are like they're I, New Jacks I, to us. I'm a I'm yeah. a I'm a serious fan of the Beagles. I like Young Thug. Okay, I do too. I I think there's something special about that guy. Okay. I think if Young Thug had an A and R. Or someone who's going, nah, don't make that record, don't make this record. And somebody who could say, I'm gonna let I'm just gonna let twelve amazing songs come out on you, and somebody actually like guides it, there's a lot of people who's gonna be done. Because he has the ability to be a star, a yeah, superstar. I agree. He can rap. And a lot of people don't don't know, but he can rap for sure. <laughs> Is hip hop culture a male culture? No, hip hop culture is a culture. Is hip hop culture? If hip hop culture was a male culture, there'd be no Queen Latifah, That's there'd be true. no Lauren Hill, there'd be no Foxy Brown, Your there'd cousin. be no MC Light. Yeah, there'd, yeah. Be no, there'd be no MC Light, no Little Kim, no Cardi B. Who's the best female MC ever? Ever? Come on, she's from Brooklyn. <laughs> Probably Lauren. You think Lauren? Lauren you don't think Lauren. Light? No, nah, I think Light was really Light really was dope. so good. Yeah, but Lauren. She's she was dangerous. Yeah, she, I mean, she was dangerous. Lauren, her pen was bananas. Yeah, Lauren's Lauren's pen was bananas, and there was never a question about her pen. See what I'm saying? Okay. There was never a question about her pen. I mean, that record was such an important record, but I don't know. I mean, if I would consider that even a hip hop record. No, nah, it was a dope record. It was a dope record. It was a great and record. It was right. So, but think about every time you heard Lauren Hill rhyme, like anybody who was near the record where her got beat up. I hated when she said defecated on the microphone, though. It really like, but I was like, why? <laughs> it's stuck in my crook. Sorry, Lauren. Everything else I'm into. But, but I'm saying, like, her pen was that wild. Like, right now, Rhapsody. 
Okay. Rhapsody is like, wow, when you hear the shit she said. Her bars are like phenomenal. So what about someone like Drake who sort of doesn't write his own stuff? We, we don't know that to be true. I mean, I don't care, personally. Well, my thing is— I, Sing to me, Drakey. It's just a lot to, to think about for a second. It's not even a lot. It's just simple, simple something that people don't think about, right? Okay. You got this guy, Drake, who everybody's saying, oh, man, this guy wrote this song for him when he actually wrote a hook and a bridge. Drake took the hook and the bridge, and then he went from there, right? I don't know what else this guy might have written or what might might have helped him with something, but the reason why people are attacking him is because his shit be so good. They're not even questioning it. They're like, nah, how the fuck did someone else do that? So now he's getting attacked. The first rap record, mm-hmm. the record that changed the lives of everybody who want to be a rapper is Rapper's Delight. Half of the record is written by someone else. I Grandmaster Kaz wrote Half of Rapper's Delight, and he's not on it. So we're talking about a record. The record that created, listen, listen. The record that created the rap game when it came to rappers getting record deals, that record was ghostwritten. So so, so let me ask. Okay. Are we talking about your MCing ability or are we talking about your rap ability? See, now here's the thing. What we're looking at when we look at rap, we're looking at rappers. We're not looking at MCs because MCs pen everything that they're going to say. We're looking at rappers. So if we're looking at rap, you're going to find some dudes who don't write their raps. And you're going to find enough of them. But they're rappers, being rappers. They're not trying to be MCs. The MCs, you could tell. The Hoves, the Fabs, the King Push, the, 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 the Jake Holes, the Kendrick Lamars. You could tell who's out there MCing. Because how does someone else write Jake Holes raps? They couldn't. You, you can't. Because there is a purest thing. Like thought process, I I don't subscribe to it because. Be, be clear, I do. You know why? Okay. Because I'd rather have MCs. Yeah, because it's a real right. blood sport. Like right. you know I, what I mean. But I say all the time that rap is a contact sport, and people think I'm crazy when I say it. But hip hop is based off of competition. It is like if you think about it. When, DJ, 100%. when the DJ thing started, somebody wanted to be the best DJ. So they had battles. When the dancers were in a circle, what were they doing? Battling each other. That's right. When MCs were getting on the mic, what were they doing? Battling each other. It's a sport. It's a goddamn it is. contact sport. Rap's a contact sport. So the thing was, everybody wanted to be the best. Why did Rakim rhyme so good? So that he could be looked at as special. Why did Kane rap so good? So he could be looked at as special. Long live the cane. Long live the cane. <laughs> Do you know, I met Big Daddy Kane once at the building. Mm. And I was talking with him and a bunch of people. And he said he could rhyme any word with any word. And I said, oh, yeah, dare ya. Rhyme Claudia. And he said, Claudia, Claudia, if you were a dish, you know I would order ya. What? <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> Big at Daddy Kane. Best rap Daddy ever. Kane. Best rap ever. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, Ain't no half-stepping, yo. That's um, nice. <laughs> okay, so you yo, prefer you know, MC. Like, that is a crazy story. Isn't that it? Like, that, that's beautiful. <laughs> I can't wait. To, I'm calling Kane as soon as this is over, yo, bro. He'll be I like, who? Met. Claudia Gold? <laughs> I know Claudia Gold. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. I'm telling you. And he kept his word. Mm. So you prefer MC to a rapper? 
I prefer MC MCs to rappers. Okay. When it comes to making records, okay. I want the MCs to be rappers. Okay. How? I hope that makes good sense. Look, look at Big Daddy. Look, look at um Biggie. Okay. He's the best rapper ever. Okay. But he's also like the second best MC we've ever heard. Okay. But I think Jay Z is the best MC. But I think he's the second best rapper. He falls so, low yeah. on my list. Nah. Of what? MC or rapper? But I hold him accountable for misogyny, so it's it's not oh, a fair judgment, okay? <laughs> what are you talking about? Wait, where did you, what street did you cross just now? <laughs> no, but I'm saying um, bar for bar, Jay said better rhymes than Big. Line for line, Big said his rhymes better than right, Jay. Right, his delivery. His, the whole package. Right. That's why people love Tupac. They think he's like the greatest rapper. I'm like, but listen to the bars. He's nowhere in the top 25. He's definitely in the top 10 of best rappers, but he's not in the top 25 of best MCs. It's he, impossible. He was a pivotal. He's, you know, black Jesus. And he was. Nah, that is not. I mean, he, but I'm saying his fans look at him like black yeah, Jesus. Again, like uh, I'm right. saying, I'm going to go back and say again, he is not. I I'm not a Tupac fan. My husband loves Tupac. It's his favorite. He's he's so deep. He talks about emotions. He's he's the realist. He like puts his heart out there. He's educating people, you know, the Black Panther ideals. Like he just loves that. And mm-hmm. to me, I'm like, this is mediocre rap music. Not my favorite. Not my favorite. And there's jams. There's jams. Ho ho. I'm not mad at you. Okay. I'm just saying, but But there are, but there are people like they, like no matter where you go in the world, there's Tupac graffiti. I I was, I was in Philly. Okay. And he was talking about rappers and uh, the guy was like, Tupac is this, Tupac is that. And I was just like, man, he all right. He got so mad he pulled out a gun and everybody was standing there going, yo, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I just looked at him. I was like. So you're willing to shoot me for Tupac and you never met him? You don't even know him? But because you believe what he said? And everybody was like, yo, you're so fucking stupid. What the fuck is wrong with you? And I just thought to myself, Dag, he, he rapped that good to you? Like, he said his rhymes so well that you believe everything he said? Like, come on, man. He's rapping. He was He's r- rapping. He's rapping. He's not even being like this amazing MC. He's rapping. You believe everything he said because he rapped it so good? Nah, dog. Let's let's get to the truth. I want to hear the truth. How busy did he get? He ain't get that busy. He just said his rhymes so well. Well, he said it with such conviction. He was really like you really feel it. You're about to say the same thing I'm saying. He said his rhymes so well. He didn't say great rhymes. He just said them really well. Yeah, I. I... Unlike Biggie, who had great rhymes and he said them amazingly. Right. Like Eminem. Good rhymes. Amazing delivery. Jay Z. Another non favorite of mine. Jay Z. Okay. Amazing rhymes. Amazing delivery. Yes. I Now I see. I, you see I'm what I'm saying? saying right. Like I, Rock Him. Amazing rhymes. Amazing delivery. You, you know what I'm saying? Right. He said he He said his. Yeah, Rock Him said his rhymes so well, he changed the way everybody rapped. Because before that, it was a child is born with no state of mind, blind to the ways of man. He said. I take seven MCs, put them in a line. Seven more MCs that think they could rhyme. Seven more, five go for mine. Now the 21 MCs ate up at the same time. He's not rapping. He's rhyming. Everybody was rapping before Rock Him. As soon as that record came out, they were like, oh, shit. I'm rhyming. I'm not rapping anymore. Interesting. Look, check. 
I'm not going to sit here and say that I am a rap historian, but I will but tell you, you this. But you are, kind of. But I will tell you this. I hear the rhymes. I hear the rhymes. I don't just, oh, shit, the rhymes are it. No. I hear what the MC is saying. That's why back in the days when everybody was going, this guy's the best, this guy's the best, this guy's the best, I was going, nah, Grandmaster Kaz is the best. And they were like, Kaz, I was like, listen to what he's saying. That will take you somewhere else. That will let you, oh, shit, now nah, he is saying some crazy shit. You know what I'm saying? It's what you say and then the way that you say it that makes me go, oh, yeah, I, yeah. Listen to what Nas was saying. Like, Rakim made you believe a word was a word because he said it so well. You like to exaggerate, dream and imaginate. What is imaginate? No one knows what the fuck that is. But when he says it, you know what it means. You do. That means you believed it was a fucking word. Or you can imaginate what it would be. <laughs> there you have it. Where but, you, but it's because I heard the raps. What did you think of Cool G Rap? You don't think Cool G Rap was amazing. He so was is dope. he in? Is Picture he in your top ten? Of what? Top ten MCs. I, no, I think he's more like in the top twenty. Okay. Me, of MCs. Yeah. Okay. For sure. He he was he was dope. He was a but wordsmith. There's, there's, there's so many dope wordsmiths. Right. There's so many dope lyricists. You know what I'm saying? Right, like, that they could just sort of flow, yeah, make their yeah. own flow. Yeah, and say to... rhymes so, like, say amazing raps. I want the guys who say the amazing raps. And then, let's see if we can make you say them amazingly. I mean, to me, Cool G Rap is in my top five. I'm not mad at that. That That's that's valid. That's very valid. Like, he's G-Rap. Like I mean, <laughs> you know, in key food, sweeping floors for dimes, you know what I mean? Yeah. In the shower... Taking time, learning his rhyme. I mean, it was, it was, it, people, he painted a picture for me like, audience, like, like an artist. Rappers. People in the audience, Coogee Rap is my name. I take rhymes and insert them, insert them inside your brain. With Pete, DJ Polo is the man behind me. Operates the turntable when I'm rocking the rhymes and it's a demo. What? It was so good. Better than a snicker when it comes to a snack. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boy. All right. Maybe, I, he, maybe he originated that thing, you know, looking like a snack. G-Rap originated women looking like snacks. Looking like a snack. Looking like a snack. Cool J-Rap. Snack, snack, maggoty. Now, with all this Me Too stuff going on, mm. Mm, do you, when do you think rap, when do you think <laughs> rappers, hip-hop, whatever you want to, however you want to sort of, is going to start to take a little responsibility for uh, some uh, problems with the uh, lady folk? You think things are going to change? Because the girls of today ain't taking any shit. Oh, what a question. Claw money. <laughs> here, here, here's what I think. And I don't, I don't think it's ra- like necessarily, like I think it's the music business sort of breeds. It was happening in rock and roll for decades right, right. before. I to, and, I absolutely and, and is not good, exclusive right, the good to part, this genre of music. The but good part is that I was going to answer it correctly. And, and by saying... That this is not a rap thing. It's not a hip hop thing. It's a world thing. It's a money and power thing. It, it's a power thing. Right. I'm not even gonna say money and power because there's people who are powerful without money. Okay. So I'm gonna say it's a power thing, and I'm gonna say that until enough people in power get checked, it's gonna take a a little bit of time to slow down. But it's it's gonna slow down real quick, and there's gonna be so many men without jobs. 
that they're going to check themselves real quick. Because think what, about because of the thing. economy? And no, because- no, no, no. Because people are going, word, that's what you do? I'm a hire a woman. Hmm. That's what's happening. I disagree. You don't think it's happening? I, I see it happening. I see it on upper management. Like, we're not going to hire women because they're going to present problems for us. What's and funny I'm just going to hire dudes nah, and, like, block these chicks out. I, I, I hear you. Maybe but maybe, some, you know. I like, hear you in maybe some fields that might happen. Right. But in the, the, the greater percentage of companies and, and, and there's going to be so much more opportunity for women than it's going to be for men because men are the ones who get. You did that fucked up shit. You know what I'm saying? Oh, how could you do that? And then there's so much uproar about not being given fair money or not being treated the same. Correct. That they're going, you know what? I don't want this shit on me. I'm going to give the chance. I'm g- Because there's so many people who will sit around and give the job to some dude not knowing even if the woman could do the job. Now they're like, I don't even want anybody saying I'm being discriminatory. I'm going to try. And the try is the beginning of the way things shift. Something has to happen for the shit to shift. Shit is happening. Right. You know what I'm saying? And what I think is kind of fucked up is that it kind of took this long. Like, why did something have to happen to you 25 years ago for you to be like, all right, I'm, I'm going to say something about it now? Because so, it, was, it was very... You know, like, we don't talk about that. No yeah. one's going to believe you. Yeah, People yeah, but, are going to think you're a slut or but, whatever. But you, you know what? That's that's cool, but so are they not going to say you're the same slut that you were back then now? They're going to say you're an old slut, yeah. Well, <laughs> but, but you, you <laughs> no. see what I'm saying, though, right? What I'm saying is— No, of course they're not. They're going to look at you in a different way, and I, I think— you know, but, the, but here's the here's the bottom mm-hmm. line. The only reason why you're looking at them in a different way now is because somebody got the mash put on them. If you don't get the mash put on you, and the shit's happening now, and then all of a sudden you say something, are they going to treat them the same way as they did back then? Sure they are. The difference now is motherfuckers ain't getting caught up in that shit because there's camera phones. That's right. There's camera phones. There's cameras everywhere. So because of that, motherfuckers ain't doing no crazy shit. And you're you're putting yourself in harm's way. Right. You're putting yourself in harm's way. Game is so different now. The game is so different now. That that power that these whomever was yielding ain't even the same no more. The internet, there's pluses and minuses, but one of right. one of the of is that information travels so right. fast, and people and the, can the really playing field is pretty yes. leveled right now. Uh, here, here, somebody. Well, do you me. really, you really think it's level? It's leveling. leveling. I'm not saying it's level, okay. but it's leveling, and the only way it levels is, is if slow, something happens, right? And so slowly stomping, da- right? I mean, pushing it down and pushing of, it. Think about this: in the '60s, the lowest on the totem pole were black women. Right. They're like right behind white women, white women, black women, white men, black men. That's insane. It's amazing. Amazing. It's amazing. But it's also insane when you know that they came from, first of all, black people weren't even people in the 60s. I we mean, were yeah. we were three-fifths of a person in the 60s. So when Martin Luther King was out there fighting, they thought, like, we, at this time, look back and go, oh, my God, civil rights movement. Nah, that's not what he was fighting for. He was fighting to be a human. He was fighting to be looked at as a whole human. You can't get civil rights until you got human rights. 
So he died trying to get human rights, and now we're fighting for civil rights, but we don't know how to fight, so we look crazy. And we do dumb shit. And we the, the way that we do our dumb shit isn't the way that he would have done it. That's the reason why we're not getting our civil rights. He did it so we could get civil, human rights. Now we're human. We don't know how to get civil rights. Why? Because our leader is gone. When you were getting those human rights, you still didn't let black women vote. Oh, oh then, then they'll go, oh, no, we didn't let women vote. No, 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 no. <laughs> but then when you did let women vote, you still were like, mm, I don't know about these black women. And now they're number two on that list. The difference is when women get together, they ain't black or white. They're women. Well, they do. Women. Uh, but I <laughs> Which also, is fucking amazing. <laughs> but I'll tell you, there's so many. F- feminism is having lots of issues because of different factions sort of separating. Oh, you can't be down with us. We're, you know, black women. You can't be down with us. We're Hispanic. Like, there's more commonality than there are differences, but people are angry. And I believe that they should feel their anger and state their feeling. But I, I also think, especially women, because there is so much common experience mm-hmm. with being a woman as there is being a, a man. Black men and white men can't get together. But black women and white women can figure it out. Even if it's for the day, they figure it out. And they let the, let the shit go. Yeah, we know it's not as hard for us as it is for you, but fuck it. We're riding with you, so let it go today so that we look unified. Come on, look what they did. Like, what they did is insane. You can't get black men and white men to do that shit. What do you mean, the march? Yes, that shit can't happen. Men can't do that shit. What? You don't need a march for men, though. That's what you say. But they're, they're, <laughs> you're you, just men. You're just on top, like but, whatever. Well, you know, like is, go march for but, your, but, but you know, the, but being the thing is, second. The thing is, a second-rate you, citizen. You, 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 it can't happen the same way. And you, I don't recognize white women feeling that black women are equal. On a whole, white men don't feel like black men are equal. They feel like they're stronger, better in sports. But they don't feel like they're better in business or can be as good in business. They don't feel like they can be the same socio-politically. Okay. But yeah, you're stronger. You're a greater athlete. We, we can prove it. You built our country. We know you're stronger. But can you be the same across this political table? No, they, they can't look at it that way. But you know what? A woman, a white woman can look at a black woman and go, yes, sister, we can do it. It can't. It, it's this, it just can't be done the same way. And it's. Because of how, over time, black men are looked at. Look, I'm not out here trying to be on some, you know, pro this, pro that, or anti this or anti that. Okay. I'm just looking at things for the way it actually is, and I deal with things for the way they actually are. I'm not going to—I'm not out here trying to be Farrakhan or trying to be Jesse Jackson, but I'm not a liar. Right. You know what I'm saying? I know what's happening. I see it, and I'm cool. I just got to figure out how to maneuver within the— Do you feel— <laughs> that where's Claw going? <laughs> Claw has that, Clark uh, uh, X but in the don't, house. <laughs> don't you feel that you feel inclusive of white men in this culture? Right? Well, we you have, have to. You have to understand. There's there's something that happened to me when I was really really young. I figured out who I am, and it's not common that. Uh, young black men figure out who they are when they're young. Mm -hmm. And I didn't let the thought 
of another man determined the way I was going to think about myself. And I understood who my people are and I understand from whence we came. I understand that we're actually the mothers and fathers of civilization. If you can walk around with that amount of pride, then the things that the next person say can't really affect you. Unless something's wrong with you here, that you can know that and still let it affect you. Well, the the overarching sort of feeling of oppression of African-American, does that affect you in your everyday life? Absolutely. You know why? Because I live by the motto, if my brother's in trouble, so am I. Okay. And when I say that, I don't mean if my black brother's in trouble. I mean if my brother. That means people. If people are in trouble and I, like, me and you are friends. Mm -hmm. If I see something fucked up about to happen to you and I let it, then I let it happen to me. And that's fucked up. And I'm a piece of shit for that. I'm calling you when I have problems. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying? So because I think that way. I agree, I agree with you. But because I think that way, I look at everything and, I, and I, it fucks with me. Do you think being black has held you back? No. I don't let anything hold me back from anything. I let my blackness okay. empower me. As you should. Yeah, I should. But I'm just saying it, But don't it's you rare. think sort of like the black man is the most sort of copied, like the, the style, the way of talking, the culture, but globally. And then yet they can't get the respect, you know, on an interpersonal, like it's in an insane world we well, live in right now. Well, you get the respect that you demand. In theory. And by in practice... But not necessarily in let me, each let me, individual let me tell you case. If somebody's behind my back talking shit and I don't hear him, mm -hmm. he's not talking shit. Yeah, it's true. He's not. Yeah. So unless you're saying it to my face and can get away with it, you're not talking shit. Right. So you, I, I get the respect I command. And every person, if they thought about that, then they'd probably respect people differently. Because I respect everyone. So right, because my, it doesn't it doesn't matter. It's yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. The yeah, yapping. Yeah. All, all, all the chit-chat shit you got when I'm not in front of your face is cornball shit to me because you can't say it to my face. And if you can get away with it, then try. If you think you can. But then I, I ask myself, if somebody's talking shit, the only time it really affects you is if it's true. If you're talking shit and you lying, like, I'm, hey, keep going, B. The fact that you want to talk about me, even in lie, is good. Go ahead, talk. Got to have that, haters to keep it popping. Yeah, listen, if you don't have a hater, you ain't doing shit. It's true. Because how are you going to know? If everybody good, everybody that doesn't have a hater is going, yeah. Getting back to nah, healthy competition, this, this right? Guy, this guy got to be, somebody got a backbite. And if they not, then you ain't really doing nothing. I'm cool. Actually, I embrace the guy who has something negative to say, I, I look at it like, damn, you got that much time to worry about me? Go ahead, B. Keep going. How could there ever be a hater of Clark Kent? That you, is just impossible. You, you'd be surprised. <laughs> You're you'd right. Surprised. And I, I'm cool. Keep on. Just just don't don't quit. Keep going. Like Rick. <laughs> but but take me down. Take but, me down. No, no, I no, dare no. you. Figure out something to say about me. That's true. That's negative. And then we got a real conversation. But until then, keep going. And even when you do, I'm going to try to right my wrongs. That's, that's personal growth at its finest. And I believe that everyone, you know, if they took responsibility and, you know, 
accounted for their actions, the world would be in a lot. That's tough. You know. Nobody nobody wants that extra work. Nobody wants it. And you we know, live, you got to you got to show by example. You got to live by example. We and live in a very lazy time. In what way? This controls everything. Your 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 thumb is everything. Well, don't you think that it's sort of it's it's leading to mind control? They no, want that it, like it, it's, it's leading to all kinds of things, but we're in such a lazy time that people don't want to do the work. The work is what gets you to the next well, spot. Well, what's what scares me about the phone is that you know, oh, I don't know. I'm just going to Google it, right? So you sort of Google it, and there's the answer. There's a dependency now mm-hmm. on this device to give you information. What if the information's wrong? What if you are getting amazing bad information? That's claw what money, me. ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Claw <laughs> money, <ladies laughs> no, gentlemen. but that's what scares me about about uh, the dependency on the phone and the dependency of of uh, right. media. Right. And think about how much bad information we've gotten. Uh, I mean. I mean, there was there was there was the the biggest inauguration happened to, a few years ago. <laughs> I the mean, that, ever. the Trump presidency. I'm not giving them no light, so don't ask me nothing about them. And the and the misinformation, the broadcasting of of just straight up lies. It's literally insane. It's just it, it's like watching one of those Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Like, is this really happening? No, we're wagging the dog. We are wagging the dog, and hopefully, in three years. The shift will happen. We just need Joe Biden to run. We if Joe need, Biden runs. Joe Biden's the only one that I, I think is going to, like, literally stand in front of him and punch him in the face. We need people to vote. Hey. We need that, too, but we need, <laughs> we need Joe Biden to run. Think about it. <laughs> Joe Biden is definitely the best person to run. Okay. Like, easily. Okay. He was Barack Obama's vice president. He was. I agree with that. Anybody who was willing to stand next to that man while he was president should be the president because he had to stand next to the guy that the world was going. No way a black man could be a president. And you stood next to him for eight years. Oh, yeah, I'm riding with you just because you held my man down. That's enough for me. You held him down. Plus, I believe he would punch somebody in the face. I believe Joe Biden will fight somebody. So I'm for him 100 percent. It should be Joe Biden and Joe Budden on one ticket. No, I, no, no. <laughs> just for Nate, you know, just for ra- just for just good for rapping purposes. <laughs> just for the bars. Yeah, definitely not Joe Budden. That I mean, that guy will definitely punch you in the face. But I'm not even going to say you know. all of that. I, I just say like Joe Biden for sure. Joe Biden, you heard it here first. I Clark would, Kent. I'd ride out with him. Would you ever consider doing anything political? Would I consider it? Uh, yeah, I would consider it. I'm not sure if they're ready Ooh, for mayor, me. Mayor, mayor. I'm not sure they're ready for me. I'm not sure they're ready for me. Nah, I'm not sure they're ready for me. And I think the reason why is because it's called politics and because there's so much bullshit that I just can't do. Right, you're I, too I, real. You're like, too I'm, real I'll look politics. at it and be like, are we really having a meeting about having a meeting about having a meeting? Like, to me, that's just dumb shit. Like, what's the actual situation? We can handle this in seconds. I'm, I'm not worried about who's giving you money for your campaign. My, my shit is don't give me money if you don't believe in what I'm talking about. Don't give me money so that you can sway my thoughts I feel thoughts like you have anything. a platform here, I think. Uh, I don't know. 
You're a positive. Yeah, but then I'll have a whole bunch of gangsters giving me money. Like, yeah, totally. let's get him in. Because he's not for the bullshit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, nah. I'm about it. I'm all about it, about it. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Claw money. Clark Kent Claw money. 2020. Clark Kent 2020. <laughs> with a whole bunch of street guys and hustlers and gangsters outside of the, I'll the be White House. Like, what's really good? That's there. my man in there, yo. We put him in office. <laughs> it would be That would be life-changing. It would. For, for a lot of young young kids that uh, didn't think that they would have their shot, uh, I'm into it. Name Ra. Ra's the National God. So uh. what was sort of like your like defining moment in your career that you look back fondly that was sort of like that important moment that really, it can be personally or professionally, that really is the thing that you would probably think about like on your deathbed of like who you are. Grandmaster Flowers let me play in that park when I, it was either 11 or 12. That's one. Red Alert let me play at one o'clock in Union Square. Like that's prime time. He used to let me on the set at one o'clock. Jay-Z. And Jay-Z. Yeah, so people, if they look back, the other two moments they're not going to recognize, but the... If Grandmaster Flowers doesn't give me that moment, I don't run home and go, I'm going to do this forever. If Red Alert doesn't give me that one o'clock spot at Union Square, I don't necessarily know how much longer it would have took for me to become a headlining DJ in in these clubs because I became a headliner right after that. Jay-Z changed the way the the rap game happened, and I'm a part of that. You know what I'm saying? Totally. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine what things would have been like if you weren't championing this young man all over town. I don't I don't know. You did know. not give up on I, him I, nah. and you made people listen. Yeah. You made yeah. people get excited. Yeah, I just I just I could hear the rhymes. Here is a culture creator right before us, DJ Clark Kent. <laughs> it was a pleasure. Oh shit, thank you. <laughs> uh claw for mayor. <laughs> Tomorrow. <laughs> oh my God. Claw's the best. <laughs> You're the best. Thank you, thank you. Wow, that was so awesome. I loved his sincerity. It's not that exciting of a place when, you know, the birth of a of a subculture happens. He's one of the of the many people that helped bring it into the limelight. It made me very nostalgic for what hip-hop really is, which is a sense of community, of bringing people together, of family, that I I feel sometimes is lost on the music and the culture at large now. We need to bring it back to where we all feel connected and anyone can be a part of it. I'd like to thank my guest today, DJ Clark Kent. My producer, Jose Alfaro. My co-producer, Emma Fox. Romperling NYC for our theme music. And all my peeps at ACAST.com. Check it out. Don't forget to write us a comment and like and subscribe. We want to know who you want to hear us interview. We want to know what you liked and what you didn't like. Find me, Claudia Gold, at Claw Money on Instagram, at Claw Money on Twitter, at Claw Money on Facebook, at clonco.com. 
our kids line at Claw Mini, and of course, see me in person at my boutique, Clonco, on Delancey Street. Hats off to Clark Kent. Make sure you check him out. And we'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.